It's nearly 12 o'clock, and time for the KMXT Midday Report. Thank you for listening to KMXT. On 100.1 FM, it is your public radio station, broadcasting from beautiful downtown Kodiak, Alaska, where we have 43 degrees under overcast skies. Out at the airport, they are showing 80% humidity, southwest winds to 7 miles per hour, and 10 miles of visibility. The Weather Service says there is a 70% chance of rain today, with cloudy skies all day, high near 47. South winds to 15, gusting to 20. For tonight, scattered showers before 7, then increasing clouds overnight with a low around 40. West winds to 30, decreasing to 25, could gust as high as 40. And scattered showers for Wednesday, mainly before 1 p.m. Cloudy skies tomorrow with a high near 46. Westerly winds to 15, becoming northwest in the afternoon, could gust to 30 tomorrow. Coming up on the Midday Report, Kodiak Island Borough employees are getting a pay raise. Kodiak Connections to two honorees to the Museum's Alaska Awards. And the U.S. Arctic Research Commission is meeting in Fairbanks today. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Louise Schiavone. President Biden is now up to date on his COVID vaccine. As NPR's Tamara Keith reports, he rolled up his sleeve at the White House to spread the word. The new COVID vaccines made to better protect against the BA4 and BA5 Omicron subvariants have been available for nearly two months, but uptake has been slow. President Biden waited to get his dose until three months after his bout of COVID. Get your updated COVID shot. Now's the time to do it. By Halloween, if you can, that's the best time. And that way you can be protected for the holidays. And please, while you're at it, get the flu shot. Fewer than 20 percent of senior citizens have gotten their updated vaccine. The administration is hoping reminder emails from Medicare will help reach that age group. Tamara Keith, NPR News, the White House. After getting his booster in front of reporters and cameras, the president was asked if he believed that Moscow was accusing Ukraine of preparing tactical nuclear weapons because Russia's Putin was himself planning to use a so-called dirty bomb. Biden responded he could not guarantee Russia was engaged in a false flag operation, but he said if Putin did, it would be a serious mistake. A Russian court has rejected U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner's appeal of her nine-year prison sentence for drug possession. The U.S. calls the decision a failure of justice. NPR's Michelle Kellerman has more. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says Russia is wrongfully detaining Griner, and he says securing her release is a priority. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan echoes that, writing in a statement that President Biden is ready to make tough decisions and go to, quote, extraordinary lengths to bring Americans home. The Biden administration has reportedly offered to release Russian arms dealer Victor Boot for Griner and another American, Paul Whelan. U.S officials say they have been in contact with Russia about this, including in recent days. Michelle Kellerman, NPR News, the State Department. 
In St. Louis, police say an AR-15 style rifle was the weapon that killed a female teacher and a 15-year-old girl yesterday at Central Visual and Performing Arts High School. The 19-year-old former student at the school died in a shootout with officers. St. Louis Interim Police Chief Michael Sachs says he left a note. He wrote, quote, I don't have any friends. I don't have any family. I've never had a girlfriend. I've never had a social life. Sachs said the gunman arrived at the scene heavily armed. It appears that he came into the building with more than 600 rounds of ammunition. Seven other people were injured in the attack that forced students to barricade doors, jump from windows, and run out of the building. Approaching the close, the Dow was up 337 points at 31,837. This is NPR. NPR News is brought to you in part by Providence Kodiak Island Counseling Center. For an appointment or more information, 481-2400. For KMXT, I'm Terry Haynes. Kodiak Island Borough employees are getting a pay raise. Assembly members approved about a 5% pay bump for all employees, effective immediately at the Borough Assembly's regular meeting on Thursday. The raise moves each employee two steps ahead on the borough's pay scale. The change will cost the borough just under $200,000 for the first fiscal year. It passed nearly unanimously. Assembly member Scott Arndt was the lone no vote on the ordinance. He said the issue should be studied further and noted the borough will still need to negotiate with union workers later this year. It's the latest raise for local municipal workers. Earlier this year, Kodiak's city council also approved pay raises for city employees. Those raises went into effect at the end of February. Two honorees with connections to Kodiak are among this year's Museums Alaska Award winners. KMXT's Kirsten Dobroth reports. Museums Alaska is a nonprofit that advocates for museums and cultural centers across the state. Each year, it recognizes artists and institutions for their work. And this year's Excellence in the Field Award from the organization went to the Kodiak History Museum. Museums have for so long been seen as a temple rather than a forum. Sarah Harrington is the executive director at the Kodiak History Museum. She says the museum has gone through some big changes over the last five years to make it more inclusive. First, by changing its name from the Baranoff Museum, which is rooted in Russia's colonization of Alaska, to the Kodiak History Museum. The museum also started crowdsourcing exhibition ideas from community members. It just wrapped up a temporary curation of stories and photos submitted by Kodiak residents from the pandemic, for example. Another to-be-announced exhibition also developed from public feedback is set to open next month. Harrington says the collaborative process makes for a more comprehensive representation of local history. People who live in Kodiak are the ones who can tell you about what matters to our community, um, and so we really just want to leverage that expertise out in the community um, and offer our resources so that that way not only their experience can be validated, but that way the museum can do its job to preserve and share those stories. Other changes at the Kodiak History Museum include a 23% pay bump for all employees, which was passed by the museum's board of directors this summer. Museums Alaska also awards an annual President's Award for Lifetime Achievement. This year's recipient is the Alutic and Inupiaq artist June Simeonoff-Pardue. Pardue is from the village of Old Harbor. She currently lives in Sutton, just north of Palmer. 
Her beaded headdresses, grass baskets, and woven grass socks, jewelry, and Aleutic garments have been exhibited across Alaska, including at Kodiak's Aleutic Museum and the Lower 48. Museums Alaska recognized Pardue's body of work as masterful, unique, and imaginative in a press release, and her ability to teach others. Museums Alaska announced award winners in four categories at its annual conference late last month, including the organization's Volunteer of the Year and Museum Champions. In Kodiak, I'm Kirsten Dobrath. The U.S. Arctic Research Commission is meeting in Fairbanks on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. Created in 1984, the commission advises the President and Congress on Arctic research issues and is made up of seven members, including Chair Mike Sfrega of Fairbanks. Of the seven appointed commissioners by President Biden, five of them are Alaskans, four are women, and three of the four women are Alaska Native leaders. So we have a wonderful composition for this commission. Sprague says the panel is charged with producing a goals and objectives report every two years that provides guidance to the federal government on Arctic issues. The report is due January. And Sprague says this week's meeting at the University of Alaska Fairbanks International Arctic Research Center is to review and get input from UAF researchers related to five basic themes in the report. Themes that we see before us, not just in the next year or two, but probably in the next decade as well. Those five themes are environmental risks and hazards. The second goal is focused on health and well-being. The third is infrastructure. The fourth goal is rather different for the Research Commission because it's focused on economic research. What kind of economic uh, future would would be best suited for a new Arctic and the fifth is Arctic research cooperation. There's, the Arctic is too big to do anything alone. Sprague says climate change is woven through all the research objectives. For instance, how is climate change affecting subsistence patterns in Alaska, and how does that play into food security for our communities? Infrastructure, we can no longer build to what we thought were good codes uh, here in the north. We need new codes, new engineering processes, new technologies, new equipment in an environment that's shifting beneath our feet. The economics of the North have changed. And how might the state of Alaska, how might communities participate in some areas of the economic development engines that are occurring elsewhere in the world? Among agenda items for the Arctic Research Commission Fairbanks meeting are presentations related to the decline of Yukon River salmon. The presenters will include the Yukon River Intertribal Fish Commission, UAF's College of Fisheries and Ocean Sciences, and the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, as well as NOAA. A former Kenai Peninsula Borough employee says she faced constant sexual harassment from former borough mayor and current gubernatorial candidate Charlie Pierce while she was his assistant. She's now suing Pierce and the borough, and her 20-page lawsuit details an alleged pattern of harassment by Pierce that she says the borough did nothing to stop. KDLL Sabine Pooks has more. In a lawsuit filed Friday in state superior court, Kenai resident Pamela Wastel says she endured a hostile work environment and constant sexual harassment. For the year and a half, she was Pierce's executive assistant at the Kenai Peninsula Borough. Wastel started working at the borough in 2013. 
Pierce, a Republican, was elected as borough mayor in 2017 and resigned in August, saying he needed to focus on his campaign for governor. The lawsuit, as first reported by the Anchorage Daily News, says Pierce would touch and kiss Wastel against her will and that he made sexual remarks, using his authority to intimidate her behind closed doors in his Soldatna office. The lawsuit also alleges the borough failed to protect Wastel and several other employees from Pierce's harassment. It does not name a dollar amount she's seeking in damages. Caitlin Shortell is Wastel's Anchorage-based attorney. She says her client was afraid to report the behavior to the borough before this summer for fear of retaliation. Knowing that while she remained in the workplace, there was no safe, impartial place or person, and there were no procedures in place. Wastel first reported Pierce's inappropriate behavior to the borough's legal department in July, according to the lawsuit. And in the days following, she was placed on paid administrative leave. The borough hired an outside firm to conduct an independent investigation into the allegations, which it later concluded were credible. Pierce resigned in late August and left the borough in September. The lawsuit claims Wastel wasn't the only victim of Pierce's harassment. The suit points to a handful of other alleged instances of sexual harassment and discrimination by Pierce, including two settlements totaling nearly $270,000 from two former human resources directors. It also alleges two new instances of sexual harassment against two female borough employees. Shortell says the borough failed those employees because it did not have a clear and safe reporting mechanism. And what that meant is that there were victims who weren't protected, and Ms. Wastel was one of those victims. Borough policy says employees making complaints should bring them to the attention of their supervisor, the head of their department, or their human resources director. The matter should then be referred to the human resources director or, if the complaint is against the director, to the borough attorney. The acting human resources director at the time of Wastel's complaint was Pierce's chief of staff, Aaron Rhodes. He left the borough at the end of September following Pierce's resignation. An attorney representing Pierce declined to comment on the case, and borough attorney Sean Kelly said he'd not yet been served the suit and therefore would not comment either. The lawsuit says the borough asked Wastel to come back to work or that it might terminate her employment. Shortell says Wastel has not returned to work there because the borough hasn't put into place procedures to protect her from harassment or retaliation, and because she suffered emotional distress. Meanwhile, Pierce continues his run to be Alaska's governor. He received 6.7 percent of the vote in the August primary election, making the cut as the fourth candidate in the November 8th ranked choice election. Current Governor Mike Dunleavy has encouraged his supporters to rank Pierce second on their ballots. In an emailed response late Monday to questions about whether he still supported ranking Pierce second, a spokesperson for the governor said the allegations are serious and that, quote, without any way to independently verify these claims at this late date, it would be unfair to make any snap judgments or draw any conclusions from a complaint filed just days ago, end quote. In Kenai, I'm Sabine Pooks. Access to traditional foods has long been a priority for Ketchikan's federally recognized tribe. But for decades, Ketchikan residents have been barred from taking part in federal subsistence hunts and fisheries. Now Ketchikan Indian community is pushing to change that. And as KRBD's Reagan Miller reports, it all hinges on one big question. Is Ketchikan a rural community? 
Trixie Bennett, the president of Ketchikan's tribe, says the push to designate Ketchikan as a rural community is a major step towards the tribe's goal of food sovereignty. Our food is our way of life. Uh, Our food is the medicine. Our culture is the medicine. If Ketchikan was classified as rural, all residents, native and non-native, would be federally qualified subsistence hunters. That means they'd be able to hunt and fish on federal lands and harvest subsistence species, like Uligan from the Unuk River. And wildlife officials would be required to prioritize the needs of Ketchikan subsistence users over commercial and sport fishermen. We want um, just better access to our healthier foods around here, not just for us, but for everyone on the island. She says traditional foods like deer and fish are high in protein and that indigenous people have been living off the land since time immemorial. But there's a reason that we've you know, persevered and we are so resilient and, I, and a lot of that has to do with your food system. But what does it mean to be designated as a rural community? Matthew Newman from the Native American Rights Fund says that's decided by the Federal Subsistence Board. It, it is the definition by which you know, subsistence rights are either offered or denied. Uh, but no one can come to a universal agreement as to what the term rural community means. If an area is considered rural by the board, it means more subsistence rights, like those outlined in Title Eight of the Alaska National Interests Lands Conservation Act. In this instance, you also have, as a rural resident, you have the opportunity to hunt or fish under federal rules. But Newman says there's no precise definition of what the board sees as rural. As of now, Ketchikan is listed as non-rural, along with Juneau, Fairbanks, the Matanuska, Susitna Borough, Anchorage, and the Kenai Peninsula. Notably, the community of Saxman, which lies within Ketchikan's borough and is connected to its road system, is considered rural by the board. It's, it's only by Alaska standards when anyone look at Ketchikan and say, well, that's not that rural. In practice, redesignating Ketchikan as a rural community would allow residents to hunt and fish on more land and waters and increase bag limits. But on Prince of Wales Island, where there's widespread concern about deer populations, some aren't so sure opening the island to more hunting and fishing is a good idea. Earlier this month, wildlife and conservation agencies held a three-day summit to discuss the problems facing the island's dwindling deer population. Clinton Cook is the president of the Craig Tribal Association, but he spoke to KRBD in his personal capacity. Cook says he believes all small communities have a right to the designation, but he's not sure now is the right time. So I think adding 10 more thousand people to the queue might not be what is best right now, especially with diminished salmon populations, diminished deer populations. Cook doesn't think Ketchikan's tribe should stop pushing their request, but he says he wishes Prince of Wales Island tribes had been more evolved in the request. They should have been face-to-face with tribes on Prince of Wales and communities on Prince of Wales. He says he's having a meeting with Ketchikan's tribe on the topic soon. Bennett, the president of Ketchikan's tribe, says Ketchikan hunters and anglers would still have to follow special guidelines depending on the status of the population at the time. And federal regulations mandate that if there aren't enough deer on Prince of Wales Island to feed out-of-town hunters, local residents would get priority. Ketchikan Indian Community's request faces its first test in the coming days as the Southeast Regional Subsistence Advisory Council meets in Ketchikan. But it'll be a while before any changes take effect. Bennett says it could take as long as three years to complete the process. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. The agency that oversees offshore leasing in federal waters has set a date for the next oil and gas lease sale in Cook Inlet. And this time, the agency has to hold the sale no matter what. 
though industry interest in the nearly one million acres up for bid is anything but guaranteed. On Thursday, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management released its final environmental impact statement for the Cook Inlet sale. It's the latest step in the on-again, off-again saga since Congress said a sale in the inlet would be mandatory by the end of the year as part of the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act. The requirement was added to the act, largely celebrated by environmentalists, by Senator Lisa Murkowski and West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin. It's the first time Congress has required a lease sale in Alaska by law. Previous proposed sales in Cook Inlet have always had the caveat that they would be canceled for lack of industry interest. That's what happened last May and three other times in the last decade. Still, even though this sale is required, there's no guarantee that oil and gas companies will bid. Interest from producers in Cook Inlet oil and gas tracts has waned in recent years. The sale is scheduled for the day of Congress's deadline, December 31st, 2022. Read Diverse, Read Indie on Insight Daily Radio. Conversations with today's most influential authors from the world of independent publishing. Author Robert Carlyle Taylor's award-winning debut novel, The First Robot President, combines science fiction with political satire, making fun of Democrats and Republicans in equal measure. The novel centers around Thomas Jenkins, a lobbyist, and his robot wife, whose political ambitions land her on the Green Party's 2520 presidential ticket. Taking a subtle yet savage swipe at the current political climate, Taylor weaves in a political satire with much food for thought on environmental concerns, poverty, and war. We spoke with him about this intriguing and entertaining book. I uh, worked for the federal government for 40 years. I actually retired in 2018. I spent uh, 19 of those years in uh, the headquarters of a government agency in Washington, D.C., so I, uh, I rubbed elbows with a lot of uh, politicians, uh, was invited to a ceremony at the White House. Uh, we had to go in through, we had to park in the uh, parking lot near the West Wing and walk in through the, uh, the, the parking garage. So I get on the elevator, and the guy next to me is Al Gore. So, and, and Al Gore, actually, uh, I, I mentioned him several times in the book. I uh, was a great admirer of what... Uh, Al Gore tried to do when he was uh, vice president. That's award-winning author Robert Carlyle Taylor on his novel, The First Robot President, which is available wherever books are sold. Read Diverse, Read Indie is presented by the Independent Book Publishers Association. Are you planning to vote in the November 8th general election? If so, your voting location might have changed since you last voted. That's why it's important to make sure you have a voting plan before Election Day on November 8th. Can't make it? Request a by-mail ballot by October 29th or make a plan to vote early in person. Visit elections.alaska.gov to find your polling place and more. This message paid for by the Alaska State Division of Elections. This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements. Good afternoon and welcome to your Island Messenger for Tuesday. It is the 25th day of October. 
the year 2022. The sun rose today at 9.07. It will set again at 6.38. That will give us 9 hours and 31 minutes of daylight, a loss of 4 minutes and 47 seconds compared to yesterday. Our record low for this date was 17. That was set in 1935. And our record high was 56 degrees, set over 100 years ago in 1918. Currently 44 degrees outside under overcast skies. A not unpleasant day. 83% humidity. Southeast winds to 5 miles per hour. They have 10 miles of visibility out at the airport right now. They are calling for a likelihood of rain this afternoon, a 70% chance of it anyway. Cloudy skies today with a high near 47, southerly winds to 15, gusting to 20. Scattered showers tonight, mainly before 8. Increasing clouds overnight with a low around 40. Westerly winds to 30, should come down to 25, but could gust as high as 40. And for tomorrow, scattered showers before 2 p.m., then cloudy skies, high near 46, westerly winds to 15, turning to the northwest tomorrow afternoon, and could gust again as high as 30. Mostly sunny for Thursday and Friday. Looking at our local tides, we have a high tide coming up this afternoon here on the east side at 2.23 p.m. That will be a 9.9-foot tide. And our next low tide will be a minus tide. That will happen at 8.52 this evening and be minus 9 tenths, almost minus 1 foot. Over on the west side, your high tide will happen at 2.57 p.m., just about 3 p.m. That will be a 16-foot tide in Larson Bay, followed by a low tide at 9.27 p.m. of minus 2 feet. Mariners, here's your forecast for Marmot Island to Sitkanat, Kodiak's east side offshore. Gale warning through Wednesday. Southwest 25 increasing to 40 knots this afternoon. Seas are building to 18 feet this afternoon. For tonight, southwest 40 seas to 20 feet. And for tomorrow, west 45 seas to 18 feet. Wednesday night, northwest 55 seas to 20 feet. Thursday, northwest 45 seas to 21 feet. You get the idea. Over in the Shelikov Strait, gale warning through Wednesday. South winds turning to the southwest and building to 35 this afternoon. Seas building to 12 feet this afternoon. For tonight in the Shelikov, southwest 40 seas to 14 feet. And for Wednesday, southwest 30 becoming northwest 40 in the afternoon, gusting to 55 knots out of bays and passes. Seas to 9 feet. For Wednesday night in the Shelikov, northwest 50 seas to 11 feet. Just a quick programming note, in partnership with Alaska Public Media, KMXT will be airing Part 2 of the debate for the state. The U.S. House debate will be on Wednesday, tomorrow from 7 to 8 p.m. One hour of Spruce Tip Brew will follow, and then Wednesday night jazz. On Thursday, KMXT will be airing the Kodiak City Council meeting beginning at 7.30. So they will be switching the third debate over to the sister station, that's KODK, on 90.7 FM, it also runs from 7 to 8 p.m. As usual, you can stream the city council meeting from their website or their app or our app or by going to kmxt.org and clicking the link. Please join them for a community potluck to share stories and observations about how you've noticed how harvesting has changed over the years in Kodiak. This event is taking place tonight, 
6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Kodiak Seafood and Marine Science Center on Near Island. Please bring a dish to share. Local and traditional foods are strongly encouraged. For more information, give them a call at 907-486-1360. Also tonight, Kodiak Women's Resource and Crisis Center's annual prayer vigil to honor and remember domestic violence victims. That's happening at the St. James Fisherman Episcopal Church tonight, beginning at 5.30 p.m. Dinner will follow at 6.30 p.m., and their annual membership meeting begins at 7 and should conclude by 8. Please RSVP so they can make enough food. Call them up at 907-486-6171 or email them at contact at kwrcc.org. Everyone in the community is invited. The Kodiak City Council will be having a work session tonight. That's happening at 7.30 p.m. and will be happening in the public library. They will also be having a regular meeting on Thursday. That's also happening at 7.30 p.m. in the public library. Both meetings are open to the public, and the public members are encouraged to tune in to KMXT on 100.1 FM. Meetings will be web-streamed, and the web-streaming link and the meeting packets are available at the City of Kodiak website. Please contact the clerk for more information at 486-8636. And the drive-in movies are back. HMF, Highmark Marine, drive-in movies starting tomorrow. A special Halloween version out at the fairgrounds starting at 6 p.m. tomorrow. Ghostbusters, 6 p.m. on Thursday. Tremors, and 6 p.m. on Friday. The Nightmare Before Christmas followed at 8 p.m. by The Exorcist on Friday, the double feature. That's at the Kodiak Fairgrounds, and sponsored by Island Air, Bell's Flats Little Store, and Double Shovel Cidery. Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the midday report at 1220, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org.